Hello and welcome to Roses Radio, Voices Saving Lives. This podcast is presented by Roses in the Ocean, an Australian-based national not-for-profit that's been founded in order to change the way suicide is spoken about, understood and prevented. We hope that by presenting lived experience stories along with the insights and wisdom of the courageous people who share them, we will help to dispel some of the myths about suicide, improving the suicide literacy of our communities and contributing to reducing the fear, discrimination and judgement that sadly still inhibits our ability to support others and seek help. At Roses in the Ocean we believe that most suicides are preventable and we need to be able to openly speak about suicide. So please, open your hearts and minds to the possibilities that a deeper understanding of suicide can bring to saving lives. crack into it okay yeah so I want to um I do want to start the podcast with just let's talk about where you're at at Port Perry Port Perry at the moment let's talk about so you you, how long have you been living there for um I've probably lived lived in Perry for uh, uh, 10 years now yeah yeah really like it there it's a lovely town almost city (laughs) <laughs> we talk about 16,000 yeah. 16, 16, people. decent size. That's what Google says anyway. Yeah. I, um, so I grew up most of my life, well, my primary school years, yeah. so early years, I grew up in Denmark, which is in Scandinavia, um, but I was born in Kenya. So wow. being a bit, me and my brother used to joke about the fact that my mum never went on holiday, she just immigrated. <laughs> uh, my mum is from Denmark um, right. and my dad was born in Kenya, so... That's how we ended up in Kenya. And what what there. languages did you speak? Um, my dad spoke English. Yeah. Um, my mum speaks Danish and English. Um, so my first few years from you know zero to four, um, it was English, and apparently I spoke a bit of Swahili, but I don't have any don't recollection that? of that at all. No oh, language. And then when I was four, um, we ended up moving back to Denmark because my yeah. mum wanted to be with her family, um, following the birth probably. My brother was about two. Sure. We went back to Denmark. So I grew up in Denmark. Um, at the age of six, I think, my dad went back to Kenya. He had uh, quite a lot of um, mental health problems, so he went back to Kenya with his sister because he wasn't coping so well in a language, in a, in a city. In Denmark. In, in a country, sorry, where yeah. they didn't really speak English very well back then. Yeah. Um, now, if you go to Denmark, just about everyone speaks English and understands what you say, which is really lovely. Um, so at the age of um, from six to 13, I hadn't seen my dad. So obviously when you don't see a parent, um, you idealise them, you think they're this amazing person. Um, and then my mum and dad decided to try again. So wow. Yeah, when I was 13, um, I was very, very excited. I remember having my last Christmas with my family in Denmark and we were going to Australia, which was just phenomenal. Um, It was a place that you see on the TV. Mm -hmm. um, And I remember coming to Australia in the Adelaide airport. Um, It had been minus... Minus, I'll just say five degrees. (laughs) It was really cold. It was really cold. cold. You had a jacket on. Yeah, Yeah. had a jacket on, and then coming to Australia and um, getting off the plane in in Adelaide and thinking, holy shit, 
it's like 40 something degrees <laughs> I thought I was going to die extreme <laughs> yeah. full on very very extreme and I think the first thing someone said to me in the Adelaide airport was it's pretty cool outside isn't it and I, and I thought you have to be joking that, <laughs> that was my introduction to Australian sarcasm <laughs> Oh, right, yeah, yeah, right on. Yeah, and so it was a really exciting time because I got to meet my dad again, yeah. um, you know, seven, six, seven years later. Right. Um, and we went to Wyala. So I, I come off the plane in Adelaide, travelled to Wyala, bearing in mind from the top of Denmark to the bottom of Denmark is about 400, 500 k's. And so from Adelaide to Wyala is about 400 k's. And I remember thinking, oh, oh my God, where are we going? There wasn't much in between and I honestly thought I was going to end up on some station somewhere and having um, school by radio, um, as I'd seen in the films in Denmark, and that was quite daunting in itself. So I was really, really relieved when Wyala, the BHP at the time, um, towers and smoke, I thought, oh, phew. Civilisation. We're, <laughs> <laughs> we're civilization. going to get away with the radio hot, thing. <laughs> but we've got somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was really, really hot and the sun was phenomenal and my grandpops his way of keeping us from getting burnt in the car was to put a towel um, and wind the window up so the sun wasn't straight on us so it was quite a air conditioning yeah <laughs> it was a very very hot experience yeah. to start with uh, it, w- it wasn't easy and despite I think English being my first language when yeah. I was really quite young um, I didn't remember much of it um, and so I couldn't really speak to anyone except for my mum. So we moved in with Dad, uh, they got married, and my grandpops and granddad were living there as well, and they all spoke English. Yep. So it was really hard to communicate with them. Um, and I remember my first day at school was probably one of the toughest because it was, you know, first day of high school. High school, yeah. High school, yes. Um, in mm. Denmark, I had, you know, gotten used to you start reception and you go right up till high school with the same kids with the same teachers um so I had two teachers the whole way through whether that was a good thing or not because I was a bit of a rebel got into trouble a lot back then were you yeah so I'm sure my teacher would have preferred to maybe change it up now and then but yeah so when I started my first day at school I remember it very clearly I remember sitting there as a 13 year old thinking wishing that someone would come and talk to me but wishing they wouldn't because I wouldn't know what What they were saying or you know, how to respond, so that was really quite daunting. Yeah. Yeah. So sticking around about that mm-hmm. that period of your life, like the teenage years, yeah. what was the the first moments for you personally for the uh, suicidal ideation and then also the, the, the lead-up yeah, to the right. event? Yeah. So we, we were living with my dad, and mm-hmm. my uh, nan and grandpups had moved out. Mum and dad got married, because I think you had to immigration-wise to get married within three months. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's how I remember it. Sure. Um, so they had gotten married. Uh, my dad had promised that you know his mental health was under control, um, that he was doing a lot better. Um, it didn't turn out to be like that. Um, and so we ended up... Mum wanted to go home, uh, back home to Denmark... Um, we ended up living in a women's shelter. My dad wasn't physically violent or anything like that. It, it was just mum wanted to get out. Because he wasn't mentally stable. In the yeah, and he was really, really struggling. I think mum had been you know, given a false pretense maybe. I'm not sure. sure. I don't remember much from back then. Um, so we ended up living in a women's shelter, uh, I think, for a little while and then moved into a transitional accommodation. And I think that the hardest thing was while we were living with my 
my dad and grandparents was that my mum decided the best way f- to teach us English to make sure that we we learnt it quickly was to stop speaking Danish, which we did learn it very, very quickly. Within six months, I think I was quite fluent in Danish, still struggled with reading and writing. Sure. Um, but it did mean that I felt I became more isolated because I couldn't really communicate that well with anyone around me except for probably my, bro- my younger brother. Uh, we continued to speak to each other in Danish whenever we got the chance. Yeah. So that was really, really difficult. Um, I think it was hard. High school was hard because I couldn't understand what was going on. Um, I had some... I remember having one teacher who was a maths teacher. Um, she was really... I think her name was Miss Colgrave from memory. Don't yeah. know, could be wrong. Um, but I had to sit at the front of the class. Um, and because math is such a universal language, when we had tests, she would write it out um, and I would see what she had on the pad and then I'd do the solutions on a piece of paper. So, you know, they tried really, really hard um, to try and make me feel part of it. But I think, you know, the more we went through um, the journey of going from, you know, from Denmark to Australia, you know, with my dad and then into a transitional accommodation, um, I'd lost all my friends. Mm. Um, I'd lost my dad again. Um, And I think just the struggle of being in a new country, um, not really being part of anything. In Denmark, I, w- I used to play European handball and I really, really loved it. But in Australia, I wasn't in any sport or linked into okay. any supports whatsoever. And I think that was probably the journey more than anything was the lack of connection. And I think connection is such a huge thing. It is. And, and all the connections were, I suppose, being taken or w- not being made because of the difficulties in the With language barriers. With the language barrier. barriers, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's probably what led up to it. Um, when we were living in the transitional accommodation, which was a three-bedroom housing trust house um, for a period of time, mum wasn't able to get any Centrelink income because she didn't have a residential status in Australia. So we were really quite vulnerable um, and had to rely on quite a lot of the non-government sector to help us with food and... Community support, like. etc. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It, um, you know, looking back now, it's a very humbling experience um, and I think it's taught me that, you know, no matter who you are, you can find yourself in that place really, really quickly um, and to have empathy and, you know, try and help people if they want to be helped to try and get out of that. It can happen to anyone. For sure, yeah, it can. Yeah, yeah. so I think that, you know, the particular day it happened... Um, I had made plans. I had it in my head. I didn't want to be around anymore. It was too hard. And my mum left. Um, I was at home. I'd written her letter. I'd put it under my pillow. Um, I was sleeping on a mattress on the floor uh, with my grandma. I call her Montmore. A quilt cover that she'd sent out. So I had that on there. And I'd put the letter under my pillow um, and proceeded to, you know, um, take my own life. Lucky now, my mum for some reason came back home. And did the interruption, which is one of the important things, I think, yep. around suicide prevention is the interruption. Um, and so I wasn't able to carry through, but I was, I was very close and I ended up with bruising from it. Um, and so I honestly think if she hadn't come back, it would have been a very different story. Yeah. So she came back. She didn't leave that day from memory. Um, and then I proceeded. I had every intention of doing it again um, when I got the opportunity when I was on my own. And I think, you know, I went to school. I just went through the processes thinking, okay, when am I going to get this opportunity to try again? Um, I got home, I want to say the next day, but sure. like I said before, things are very fuzzy. 
Um, and my my quilt cover had been changed. I had new sheets on my bed. And I remember thinking, shit, that letter is there. Um, so my mum must have found that letter. Um, I don't remember whether she talked to me or not. I don't have any recollection of her talking to me about that letter. Um, but I think it was enough for her to to seek some support for me. And I was linked in with the um, school council at school. Um, and she in turn then linked me into some sports um, which is where nice. I started. I think I started my recovery because I love sport. Sports are important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, my recovery around there was around, you know, those reconnections um, being made, you know, feeling part of the community, being part of sports or arts or whatever yeah. you're into, I think is one of the critical things about, you know, recovering from, you know, being so low and not actually wanted to be here. How do you think um, going through your ideation, how do you think that affected or did you see any changes or effects in your brother when you were growing up in sort of that that time? I, I, I always describe my, my brother Billy as being a really gentle soul. Yeah. Um, he has always been a really gentle soul. And when we were in primary school, um, he was one of those kids who got picked on. Um, when I was told that he was going getting picked on, I would then go and sort these people out. So I always Good. got myself <laughs> <laughs> always got myself into trouble at, in primary school. Yeah. Um, I think as as he started high school, um, things got a little bit more difficult for him. Sure. Um, he, you know, started. You know, he we both moved out at quite a young age. He lived with me. Uh, from the age of 14 um, for on and off um, for quite some time. Um, He was sexually assaulted when he was younger um, while he had been playing. Um, This was in Denmark. He disappeared for a while. He'd been out playing and so he struggled with that but no one actually knew about that until he was about 15, 14, 15. Yeah, so I think for him... You know, he had quite a lot of demons and, and mm. I think he struggled with that for a long, long time. And so when he was about 14, 15, um, he, ended, he told me about what had happened when he was younger. Um, lucky for me, I'd already been doing some research because I had a Year 12 project and for some reason I had decided to, to um, focus on that sort of element and what it means to recover if someone's been sexually assaulted or raped. So luckily... Uh, and you know, I'm I'm really quite fortunate that I was able to, I think, respond in a way that was that supportive was positive and supportive, rather than oh my god, you know, what are you talking about? What do you, you know, what does this mean? And then you being confused as to what to do next. Yeah, with this exactly, exactly. Yeah. So it, you know, he had a lot of demons, and and I think when he was around that age, he um, he finally came out and said what had happened, and I remember the day very clearly when he went missing. Um, he was gone. I, don't, I remember he was gone all day and it got quite dark. I don't remember how old I was, but I remember the police were out looking for him and he came home and it had been raining. Um, but we didn't realise what had happened to him then until, you know, so he would have been maybe eight, I don't know. Sure. So, you know, we didn't know about that until he was about 14, 15 when he decided to tell us what had happened. And ended up in the boiling ward at the Women and Children's Hospital. 
um, which was quite a journey in itself and I was there with him the whole time. Um, I was 18 at the time, so he would have been 16 actually and I had to sign for paperwork for him, yeah. medical paperwork. Um, so I think he continued to struggle from then. Um, he didn't really seek the support that he probably needed. He wasn't ready for it. And as most people do in those situations, well, often, they replace it with drinking or drugs. and Self-medicating. Yeah, self-medicating, which is what he started to do. I went, I got the opportunity once I graduated from a university as a social worker to go overseas to live in London Amazing. for five years. So I left my both my brothers and I went to London and we stayed there. I went with two kids, my youngest one being six months old and came back with three. Wow. So it was a bit, it was crazy looking back now, um, but that was a really good time for me yeah. um, and, and my family. But when we came, and during that time, I would have phone calls from my brother and my mum and stuff, and sometimes he wasn't doing so well. Sometimes I thought, you know, this is going to be it. He's not going to be here any longer. And, and so I was always a bit on edge when it came to Billy because he did have really highs and really lows. Yes. Um, but when I came back, so we came back in March of uh, 2008 um, and that was quite an interesting time in itself. Um, my, uh, my other brother had, had been struggling with relationship breakdown and had to spend a bit of time overnight in hospital. But, um, and Billy had been really quite good around that. Um, but unfortunately, a month later, 10 days after his 30th birthday, he took his own life. We weren't expecting it this time, so it was quite a shock. Um, prior to that, he had, you know, there'd been indications that he was planning to or he was really worried. He'd voiced that he didn't want to be here. But that particular time, there was no indication that that's what he was planning to do. He'd gone out. Um, to the pub, um, he played the pokies, lost all his money, mum had been there, um, had dropped him back home, he'd been drinking, couldn't get back into the house and that was enough for him. And yeah, so that's what happened that day. I think it, it was probably that day a bomb went off in our family. Yes. That's probably the best way I can explain it. Um, it was really difficult for everyone. Um, it brought up a lot of issues from, you know, the past, yeah. um, but also how Billy had been struggling for quite some time. Um, I think one of the... And I don't think our family... Well, I know our family has not recovered from it. Um, and then, you know, my children having to tell my kids, that was really, really difficult, and I still hear their screaming, particularly my oldest one, um, when I told her. So that was quite quite hard, Um on one sense, I knew how she was going to react, and so I'd made sure that, you know, we were at um, my my ex-husband now, um, uh, father and stepmom's house, yeah. and I had said to his stepmom that she's going to run. As soon as she hears it, she's going to run. Can you follow her? Because I won't be able to. And, and that's, that's, what e- that's exactly what happened. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, no, it had a huge impact on the family. Was she close to your brother? Um, she, probably all of them, because we'd been in the UK for five years. We yeah. left when she was five. Yeah. Um, and so for her, she's got, you know, pictures of Billy and her together. And, you know, she got the opportunity um, when we came back to actually spend overnight with Billy. 
So Billy had said, you know, can I please have Stephanie please come and stay with me? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, you know, got to stop that drinking. There's, you're not allowed to do this stuff. And, yeah. you know, so I was really quite firm with him and, and I made sure I did it on a weekday so oh, yeah. that um, he would have to get up in the morning. You know, I'd come pick him up, I'd drop her off later. And I remember him, you know, it was such a big deal for him to have Stephanie come and stay, I think, you know, to spend time one-on-one with his niece, who he hadn't seen for many, many years. So Stephanie and Billy probably had the closest connections of all my children. Um, And that particular um, day that she stayed over at his house, um, she still talks about it today, Um, he he was ringing me because I was running late because I was, you know, I'd just finished work and I worked in front-end child protection. I picked up the girls from childcare, got in Stephanie and then on my way to Billy's. um, And Billy kept ringing and texting where are you? Is she still allowed to come? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and was really, really quite excited, so excited when um, we got there. Yeah. And, and Stephanie talks about that time, quite special. He had been really lovely with her. He'd managed to get a bed for her, gave, wow. her, gave her his bed and he slept on the lounge. Mm, yeah. um, she talks about, even to this day, that he'd, he tried to make it really, really special and try to make her... Uh, chicken drumsticks which was way too hot for her so she couldn't eat it (laughs) um i'd been quite clear with him when he had to wake her up in the morning so he had woken up a little bit earlier um to try and make sure that you know he did all the right things that i'd ask him to um you know to keep her safe and happy and and stuff like that so she talks about that time really really special um i think the other two so lauren and maddie yeah um you know, Maddie would probably say she doesn't remember she doesn't remember Billy much, but what she does remember, so she would have been three, was his lock on his door because it wasn't a key. It was one of those where you punch the number in to oh, open right. the door. So that's what she remembers. Um, Laura remembers bits and pieces, but not too much. Um, but yeah, so there's a few pictures with Lauren and um, Billy, which is quite special. I remember, yeah. you know, um, after he passed away, going into his house and the pictures that he had up was of me and the girls, and that was quite special. We didn't have any other pictures up, which I thought was really, really lovely. That is lovely. Yeah. 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 So I've got those pictures now. Yeah, nice. Um, But it just showed how much we meant to him, I think. I think one of the things that I do when I'm not feeling so well um, is I walk. So, you know, the worse I feel... Fit I am because I tend to walk um, and have music in my my headphones on and just so I started walking to work. Yep. Um, started to do those things. I think, you know, uh, the difference I think between then when I had suicidal ideation and to when my brother took his own life is I had a family. I had my three girls. Yeah. Um, and that was quite a difference. I, I I think if I hadn't had the girls and the ages that they were. Um, that would have been really different to maybe my outcome. Um, I think having really close friends was important. Um, I remember having to go to the hospital with my mum to see his body, and that was really, really difficult. For sure. Um, And I left that hospital. I I didn't walk into the room. I saw him and walked out, um, and I walked for what seemed like hours. Um, It got really dark. (laughs) My good friend again, um, Vanna, was looking after my girls, um, wasn't, I don't think was used to looking after three girls <laughs> as well as my godson Connor, so it was quite a handful. So she had been ringing me um, a 
my phone kept ringing and ringing and ringing mm. and I just kept getting annoyed, annoyed, annoyed. Just not wanting to talk at the No moment. one to talk to yeah. anyone. You know, I was taking uh, back streets. I really, I, I don't know what I was thinking, to be honest. It was, it was all a very fuzzy time. Sometimes you just want to move. You just want to keep yeah, walking. Yeah, and I don't remember how I got from one place to the next, but I was actively trying not to be found because I took all the back streets and stuff and she kept ringing <laughs> and she kept ringing. And when I finally picked up the phone... All she said was, do you want pizza for dinner? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to talk about pizza. <laughs> oh. <laughs> when are you going to be home? Do you want pizza for dinner? Yes. Yeah, so, um, and, you know, it w- I was confused when I took that phone call. Um, I didn't know what to think. Um, and it was probably a lightning yeah. bolt that made me go, hang on a minute. I need to you answer know, this. I yeah. need to answer this. But also when she said, do you want pizza? Like, it was a really, um, I don't know, it was a Almost bolt. disappointing? I don't know if it was disappointing. It was a reality t- check, I think. Just to the benign, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, pizza, what are you talking like, about yeah. pizza? I've oh, just seen true. my brother, you know, what and you're contrast. talking about freaking pizza. Yeah. Um, but it did do, you know, jolted me into reality, really, that, you know, I had my phone. And I could hear the girls in the background and her staying quite calm on the phone. But, you know, when are you coming back? Shall we have pizza? And I remember walking home um, and walking into the house um, and it was so buzzing and chaotic because of the the ages of the girls and my godson. Um, and I thought, well, you know, I really have to be here. I've got these three beautiful girls um, and a lovely godson that I need to be here for. So Sounds like it was a relatively important phone call. I uh, think so. And, I, and I, that's the thing about, I think, with suicidal ideation and people who feel quite low is those interruptions are so important. Yeah. Um, it can be like a lightning bulb. It can also be an awakening. Um it can also be really freaking annoying, <laughs> um, but, you know, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. I think the other thing around that time is I worked in child protection. Yes. And so I returned to work three days after he passed away, um, and my manager at the time, we've actually become good friends now. We weren't at the time, she was purely my manager, um, you know, and obviously quite concerned because I'd returned back. I remember walking into the office and lots of people, you know, say, oh, I'm sorry to hear about your brother, I'm sorry to hear... There was one lady, I remember being in the printer room, she didn't know what to say. but all, And she said, I don't know what to say, and she's just giving me a cuddle. And, and I think that was really, really lovely. And I think that's one of the things to bear in mind. If you don't know what to say, just say you don't know what to say. The worst thing you yeah. can do is turn around and walk away. And I had a friend do that as well in a shopping centre, and, and I, I've, that was really hard to cope with. So even, you know, if, if you don't know what to say and just you walk say off, that. send a text saying, look, I'm really sorry, I saw you, but I didn't know what to say. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing is really, really important. Yeah. And how have your kids been post, like, up to now and over the over the past sort of few years, how have they been dealing with it? And um, I think, you know, it comes and goes. I think um, for my oldest one... Yes. Because the other ones were a little bit younger, younger, so I think they were protected somewhat from the full impact. Like, Maddie didn't go to the funeral. Um uh, but Stephanie did, and, and and I can't. I think Lauren went as well. I can't remember. Again, it's a really fuzzy time. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the hardest thing for Stephanie was the way I dealt with it. Okay. Um. So she became quite angry and upset and teary, and whereas I didn't show any of those emotions, I suppose I was quite numb, and I just went through the processes of every single day. And I remember one particular time. She said to me, like, she was really upset and I knew that she needed to, you know, she was snappy, she was just, you know, getting into trouble, you know, she was 
saying things to me she didn't mean and she still regrets today and I say it's all right you know it, it is I actually suppose I poked the bear a little bit because I knew she needed to have a bit of an explosion yeah she, she needed so to get something off her yeah. chest yeah um, and so that particular day, that's that's what I did. I kept her close, despite how angry she was at me. Um, how, you know, this I can't even explain it. She was just so tense and so upset and angry um, at the whole world, but me being her primary sort of attachment figure and her mum, it was aimed solely at me. Um, and so she did have the explosion, which for her I think was really, really good. And it brought her down again, and she was able to talk about stuff and articulate what and she, she was feeling. She ended up, you know, having to see cams for a little bit to try and process some of this because I just couldn't help her. I, I couldn't be there emotionally for her at times. Can I ask what the cams? So it's child adolescent mental health services. Okay, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and I worked for them. Fast forward a few years later, yeah. which was really good. Um, so she saw them for a little while, which was really, really positive for her. Um, but one other thing she really struggled with was lack of emotions. Um, she said to me, remember, you don't cry for him. I do. I did, but not in front of other people. Yeah. But I didn't realise the perception of, of the girls, of how they saw me and how yeah, I dealt with it. It would have such an impact. Yeah. Yeah. I did. One, one of the things that I look back on now, and me and my manager, Claire, she's just my friend now, um, we joke about a little bit is when I went to work one time, obviously going through the motions of every day, then going into her office to talk about a client and her gently saying as I'm talking, do you realise your shirt's inside out? (laughs) 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 And and I said, yep. (laughs) Made it pretty cool and just continued to talk about the case or whatever I was talking about and then walked out of the office and thought, oh, my God. I really am not coping with work with my shirt inside out. Is that because you you feel like you just put your blinkers on and just got on with day to day? Just went through the emotions. And then, you know, at work probably, I don't even know when, maybe a week or so later, I had a bit of a meltdown, I suppose you could call it. Um, And then I took a little bit of time off. Um, And and the workplace was really quite supportive of that. And then I came back. Amazing. So in hindsight, I think I went back too soon. But if I hadn't gone back, then it would be harder to actually step into the office. Yeah, and, you, and maybe if you if you didn't go back as soon as you did, you might not have had the the realization that you yeah. had as well. So yeah. these things are important. Yeah, having shirts inside out are important. Yeah, <laughs> that can, can have shirts inside out are really really important. Yeah, um, and I think for my girls now, you know, we we actively talk about it. Yeah, um, we talk about those feelings. Um, I've come a long way since then. I can actually. You know, have a few tears in front of my girls. They're not quite sure what to do when I do it because it doesn't <laughs> happen very often. Um, but we do talk about those really, really important things and, and, and the need to seek support if you need it. It's, uh, it's wonderful to hear. Um, <laughs> um, so I guess how are you today? How are things today? How are things going today? Pretty good. I was thinking about this question uh, probably for the last few days and how I would actually answer it. Okay. Um, And to be honest, I would say I'm really lucky. I'm very, very fortunate uh, to be where I am today. I think there's been quite a few, I suppose, adversities throughout my life. Um, And, you know, you talk about the butterfly effect and I think my life has been very much like a butterfly effect that you could go, it could have gone one or the other way. Um, and lucky for me, I'm still here. 
And because I'm still here, I've got three beautiful girls that I adore with all my heart. And I think the other thing I'm really fortunate is I work in the youth sector. So I work for United Country SA as a program manager. Um, um, and I work with young people and staff um, and able to support staff and yeah. young people around these really significant issues and how to support a young person who may have suicidal ideation or who just can't look after themselves and need us to intervene, whether that's, you know, contacting ambulance or things like that. I'm also really fortunate that uh, I now do my own stuff. Um, mm. So I have my own business, which is Positive Connections Therapy, and that is all about connections. And I think that's the most important thing in this area is to have connections with the people around you, whether it's sport, family or friends, because yeah. they will get you through anything. I think the lack of connection is where you get yourself into trouble. Um, what was going into your vocation, what you're doing now and helping out with your community services, what was the steps for you personally to get into those? Did you feel like that was a, a, a natural progression for you to, to go to work in those youth services areas or was that something that was quite difficult and was it accidental? I don't really know. I know I went into social work because when I was about 10 or 11, I did say to mum I wanted to be a doctor, but not one of yeah. those doctors that cut people up, someone who does something with their mind. Wow. So that, you know, I knew very early on that I wanted to get into that sort of work. Um, I've, most of my career has been with children and young people. Mm -hmm. I think it's just been by default, to be honest, and then I've sort of grown a passion for it in the end, and, and, and I love teenagers. My own have been a bit of a challenge at times. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I love teenagers and, and yeah. children in particular. Um, and I think when I came back from the UK, I got a tap on the shoulder uh, to say, oh, you know, we've, do you want to come and work at what was known as Families SA back then? I'm like, mm, not sure, because that's a place I never wanted to work. Um, but I started working there and I really enjoyed it up until I finished. It was time for me to move into something else. Yeah. Um, and so all my career has been with young people and, and children. More so now with my own business, I work with families as well. So about that connection with your child and, you know, what is it they're trying to tell you, particularly the teenagers, you know, they can come across as being quite hostile and mm. um, attacking at times, but what is it that they're actually saying beneath the surface? It's the connection that's, that's lost somewhere. Yeah. And trying to get, you know, parents and young people back to that connection and, and I often talk to them about what was it like when he or she was born? What was it like their first day at kindy? And I think, you know, a young person, when they start to hear those things, when their parents talk about something that they hadn't talked about in a long time because their relationship has become so hostile, it changes um, the perception, but it also starts that positive connections coming back because everyone wants them. What for you personally as well, because you work in youth services, what do you think personally for you needs to change, if any change needs to happen for society today? I think there has been, I think things are getting better, but there has yep. been a perception, you know, if someone takes their own life, it's not quite the same as someone who, you know, passes away naturally. Sure. Whether that's, you know, a young person in an accident or illness or old age, I think there has been a perception of suicide um, and blaming the person that's no longer here. 
Um, I think there's a lack of understanding of how hard it is for someone to actually feel like that, to be in that space where they think everyone's better off without me and, and suicide is not a choice. Um, I think there's some, some perception still that it's a choice and how could that person do that, you know, they've left, whether it's, you know, children or partners or, you know, siblings and parents, how could they do that to them? It's not like that. And I think that's a really important message to get out, that someone who has taken their own life didn't do it out of choice. Um, it was desperation and, and a thought around, you know, the world will be a better place without me. I won't be a burden for my family. Um, and that's a really dark place to be. And I think the important things around societal t- changes now is to talk about it. Um, and, uh, you know, doing podcasts like this is really, really important, as hard as it is. <laughs> I think it's really important to get the word out there. And I think yeah. it's important for people to see, you know, individuals who who have gotten through the adversity, who are doing well um, and function well within community, you know, do all the things that the next-door neighbour is doing and, you know, has, has come through quite a lot. So I think talking about it and... It's funny I should say talk about it because this would be the first time most people will hear about my story. They know sure. about my brothers to some extent, but not necessarily my own. So, you know, a bit of a lesson, I think, myself. It's all growth. It's all, yeah. it's all moving forward. And it's, yeah, and, I, and I think, you know, the other important thing is to seek help yep. um, when you need it. Whether that's just uh, a combination of, per, like, friendship, community help as well as professional yeah. help. A yeah. combination, yeah. yeah. I think community and friendships are important. That's that connection. But I think at times you need something else. Um, yeah, that next level. Help. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And it's not a weakness. It's no, it's not. Help. I think it's a strength. It and, it, and it's quite a challenging time as well. Like when, yeah. you, when you see a psychologist. Psychologists, the stuff they make you think about make you a little bit annoyed at times. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's part of growing. <laughs> you know, they, they have a unique ability to say things to you that um, you don't really want to talk about. No. Um, and then they sit back and wait for your answer. It but it also has to be the right fit. So I think, you know, initially, yeah. just after my brother passed away, uh, um, my manager sent me to what they call EOP. Yep. And the lady, no, no fault of hers at all was a social worker I'm a social worker and so I found myself in that sort of setting thinking no you're not supposed to say that that's not how you deal with this this is what you're supposed to say so you know finding someone that connects with you that um, helps you get through the stuff that you need to Um, and then again I think this is something that we've touched on as Mm. well in terms of your personal message to people but is there something that you want to articulate or is there something that you want to encapsulate your your personal message to people out there today that are listening to this story and feel like it resonates with them or is there there a message that you want to say to those people? I think I think for the people who um, may have friends or family um, who are in that place the dark the dark place um, is just to be with them you know whether that's um ringing up and saying, do you want pizza? (laughs) (laughs) Or whether that's, you know, having a coffee or whether that's just going around someone's house. You don't know what to say, but just sit there, watch a movie with them. You know, just to be there, whatever that looks like, is really, really important. Um, And I think for someone who is in a dark place, you know, to accept help and let your friends and family be there for you, even if it's about pizza. (laughs) 
you know. So, yeah, I don't know why I keep saying pizza, but it seems to be the story of my life. Was it a good pizza? I can't remember. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what sort of pizza it was, but I remember thinking, you know, do you want pizza for dinner? But, yeah, so I think just being there for someone mm-hmm. is really, really important. Yeah. Um, and, and whether that's, you know, a worker who works in the youth sector um, and they're working with a homeless young person who's really, really struggling, just sit beside them. Talk about nothing or sit there quietly, it doesn't really matter. And being patient? Yep, very, very patient. Because <laughs> the harder they push, the closer you're actually getting yeah. to them. Mm. Well, I just want to thank you for me. For, like, I just, I'm very grateful that you've come in here and chatted to us, and, and I think you're a special woman. And oh, thank uh, you. It's I, been an honour. 